Welcome to another episode of Strength for Today with your host here, Eric Dijkstra. And I had such a privilege to be here with you today and to share some incredible things and characteristics of God's kingdom. Today, I want to kind of expand on those triangle illustrations that I gave last week on Wednesday. And if you uh, were able to watch those, uh, this is kind of the thing, the drawing that I referenced here is that God's kingdom is the kingdom over here. You've got the world's kingdom over here. And what I'm going to dive into today is just another illustration that has to do with a triangle about a life of devotion and building a life of devotion to God and his kingdom, to God and his son, Jesus, the king, and with the help of the Holy Spirit. So if you see that a triangle has three points, the number three is often significant in scripture is that it represents stability, it represents wholeness, something being complete, uh, something having unity is often representative of harmony, things that are working together. And really from the very beginning of time, we saw that God's intention and everything that God has ever known has been in balance or with stability in terms of being connected to himself, because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which to me represents this triangle of his kingdom, that we always are in connection with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And to me, uh, I heard a mentor once say that three plus me is able and um, perfectly willing to overcome really anything that this world could ever um, put up against us. And so three plus me, that gives you a total of four people that you're always connected with, yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, representing that stability, that balance, and really an aspect of being made whole. And I believe that's the intention of God's kingdom, because I referenced that we start kind of down here. It's an upside down kingdom. And as we move up, you can see if I get this a little bit closer, the circles here, and how we're getting more connected with people around us as we move up. And in this kingdom, if we start here, if our goal is to move up in life, we get isolated and we move away from people. And that was never God's intention. And so I want you to think about in terms of living a life from this kingdom again, and just understanding that if you put in the center of this triangle, devotion to God. And I'm going to give you three characteristics that I believe are representative in a true follower of Jesus in today's world. And some of this is what I'm getting today was inspired by a book that I read uh, several years ago. And I've actually gone through this book with my dad chapter by chapter. It's one of my favorite books and was just so incredibly transformative in my life. But it was by a guy named Jerry Bridges. And it's called The Practice of Godliness, Moving Towards a Life of Godliness um, and Actually Practicing the Habits of It. And so this is from the beginning of the book of what I'm getting into today. And then the end of this book talks about godliness really manifesting in our lives as the fruit of the Spirit. And it spends an entire chapter um, breaking apart Galatians 522 um, the attributes of what the fruit of our spirit are, goodness, kindness, joy, peace, love, self-control, uh, gentleness. So those are all things that this book breaks down. And I just want to read a couple segments of this 
because I love how he defines it. And I think it'll give direction to where we're going today. But he said, devotion is not an activity or something that we do. It is an attitude towards God. And I want us to just think about that, that um, devotion is not an activity, but an attitude towards God. And it's composed of three elements. And I'll give you the three and then just kind of speak to how these three things kind of make the point of each one of the triangles, if you're looking at that triangle. But one, it starts with the fear of God. And for some of us, that might annotate um, a level of fear that we've experienced in this world about being fearful in a negative way, because maybe someone has hurt us or done something or said something to us that has created a sense of fear. And I don't want you to see God in that light. And that's not what this is talking about here. But fear, uh, the fear of God is understanding that he is sovereign, understanding that he has created all things. And if you look from Genesis to Revelation is that he is in control um, and that he's a creative God and he is really above anyone or anything that we could possibly know or experience in the world today. And so the fear of God is often the tip of this triangle that undergirds a life of devotion is that we have to realize that our source, just like on Monday, we talked about in Babel or the golden calf, how it turned away from God and it started turning towards worldly things and building things in our own strength or the flesh as opposed to the spirit. But the fear of God realizes and their worldview is shaped that, okay, God is my source. God is the one who gave me life and breathed life into me. Um, and so I'm going to commit and devote my life in response to all the incredible and wonderful things that he's done for me. So there's a sense of the fear of the Lord. Number two, the love of God. We often see in scripture that God's intentionality was to demonstrate his love, even starting in the Garden of Eden, how God breathed life into him and said, not only is man good, but it's very good. We were the pinnacle of his creation. If you think about all the things, if you read Genesis 1 and 2 that he created, the thing that was most dear to his heart was you and I, was Adam the pinnacle, because it reflected and was an image of himself. And so he walked with Adam, he talked with him in the garden, and he shared his um, life with Adam. And that's his original design. And that to me, and it showed me that out of everything that was in that garden was so beautiful, and so whole, and that it, the fact that God gave it to him and in Genesis 1.27 says that he gave us dominion over those things. And so these things are the original design and purpose of what God does. And it demonstrates his love. And one other act of love is greater demonstrated when he gave his son Jesus to come into the world, which we're going to get into a little bit on Friday when we begin to find four core values of the kingdom is how crazy God's love is for us. And so we have to be at a place in our lives to receive God's love, to experience it, and to get it deep down in our heart 
so that we can implement it to the world and to the lives around us because we can't give something that we don't often first receive. And so the fear of God, the love of God, and the last thing is a desire of God. You're going to see that as you, um, for me in my life, when I gave my life to Christ in seventh grade, there has been a continual growth or a hunger of wanting to know and desire more of who God is because I've experienced him in some very profound ways. And one experience, one encounter often leads me to wanting more into getting a deeper and more intimate understanding of who he is. And then I love what he says. If these three characteristics are defined in our life of the fear of the Lord, the love of God, and the desire of God, he says the practice of godliness is an exercise or discipline that focuses upon God. And from this Godward attitude arises our character and our conduct. And then a few sentences later, he says this. He says, we try to please God without taking time to walk with him and develop a relationship with him. So what that's saying is a lot of times we try to change our behavior or read maybe a self-help book that could improve five ways to improve the quality of our life. And again, this comes back to everything being in our own effort, moving up uh, in that kingdom of the world by self-effort and self-discipline so that it's what I gain and how I become better, as opposed to these three things that bring stability and unity and harmony in our lives are the fear of the Lord, the love of God, and the desire of God. And he says, we can't change our conduct without knowing Christ and seeing him. Because here's the beautiful thing about how we come to know our true identity, is that our identity is only built and solidified through the eyes of what others around us reflect back to us. It's how a young infant learns who they are. If they feel loved, they are going to act as if they are loved. They are going to have a secure attachment with their parent, with the people around them. So for some of us, we can be always moving towards that secure connection because maybe for some of us, we've never had a loving, secure, safe relationship. But if you get to know the heart of God, and the thing that I've been encouraged with is that no matter what experience I've had or how many times I've been hurt, Every time I come to God himself and his word, my heart is always lifted up and I'm always encouraged. And I always find that in the midst of everything, God is making a way and leading me towards something that is good. And he says, we can't know God without developing a relational lifestyle with him, not just knowing about him and reading about him but knowing it. And I love what he says is that our character is shaped by time with God. And out of that sense of being, your identity being established in who you are, comes the sense of conduct, the way that you go about living your life in the world. And then he gives this definition of devotion. And I love this. And I want to read this out to you. He says, devotion signifies a life given or devoted to God. He therefore is the devout godly man who lives no longer to his own will or the way and the spirit of the world, but
but to the sole will of God. And there's some key things right there is that it's a life given or devoted to God who lives no longer to his own will or the way and spirit of the world, but to the sole will of God. That comes back to this whole idea of being undivided again. God not wanting us to have one foot in his kingdom, one foot in the world's kingdom, but all of us united with all of who he is and him alone. Because from that point of reference and that state of life and building our lives on that soul foundation will come strength and stability that I believe God wants to release in your life to be a visual demonstration to the world around you of what it looks like to live in alignment and right relationship with his kingdom and his ways, because they're going to provide things for you that this world can't even even come close to providing. And then he says, who considers God in everything, who serves God in everything, and who makes all the parts of his common life parts of piety or godliness by doing everything in the name of God and under such rules as are comfortable or conformable to his glory. So this sense of everything that we are, everything that we do being done for the glory of God, and he makes all parts of himself. Nothing's hidden, nothing's kept in the dark, but his light brings all of who we are into the light so that we don't have to hide ourselves, that we can live in the true, full identity of all that God sees in us and all that he says we are. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it's a great example of Paul's word to the Corinthians. He says, uh, whether he eats or drink or whatever he does, he does all for the glory of God. That's this life of stability, being devoted, having this lifestyle of being devoted to God. That is the fear of God, the love of God, and the desire of God. These All three of these things are going to begin to come together and give you a foundation that's going to provide this sense of strength that only comes from the Lord read one more scripture to you, and that's from Revelation 15, verse 4. It says, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is that concept of fearing the Lord, knowing that everything in it is his, that he made, uh, he made it, and that it's all for his glory. And he says, you alone are holy. That is the center of this godly lifestyle and this life of devotion of what it looks like. And he says, all the nations come to worship you. Just spend some time in that place of seeing all the world on its knees and bowing to the one true name who created it all. That's what eternity is going to be, forever worshiping him, forever seeing the fullness and the glory of who he is. On a transition into three other elements from another resource that uh, I've recently read over the last couple of years that's been dear to my heart. And you've often heard me talk about the impact that Deeper Walk International has had on me. Their president, Marcus Warner, has written an incredible book called Towards a Deeper Walk. And this really lays out three kingdom perspectives and three of uh, four practices 
that uh, we can develop these perspectives. But I just want to quickly just give a real quick overview of these three kingdom perspectives that he goes over in here. And it's, again, going to tie into this triangle and what we've just covered from Jerry Bridges' book as well. Um, these are all S's, and that's one of the things I like about Marcus Warner is he makes it simple, and a lot of times he'll give these acrostics or they'll start with the same letters. Um, but the first characteristic of the kingdom he talked about was sacred romance and understanding that when we commit ourselves, as we begin to read scripture and pray, and when we see the world through the lens of Jesus, we begin to see the sacred romance that God has for his children and the desires of his heart that he wants to draw us into a deeper, more intimate relationship. And he says, sacred romance is the perspective that God loves you unconditionally and desires an intimate, conversational relationship with you. And over the course of my life, I've come to um, learn different ways of how to feel loved and accepted. Because I've said it before, some of us, that might be a hard thing because maybe we haven't experienced a whole lot of that. But the thing I've always been encouraged with in my life time and time again is no matter how hard or difficult life situations are or how many times people might let you down or disappoint you or hurt you or wound you, the Lord has never done that. And I've never seen him to be the cause of it. But I'm always looking to him to help him shape my heart in it, to know how to respond and to know how to not become hard and calloused and bitter and offended at people or the world around me. And when I look at the person of Jesus and see how much he's loved us and how much God the Father has loved creation and given them so many second chances through his grace and his mercy and through the gift of his son, Jesus, I'm just left in awe that the God of the universe, the God of creation would long to know you on a, such an intimate and personal level, just different ways of seeing that in his word and appreciating things in your life where you felt loved and secure can be just simple practices of getting in this habit of retraining our mind to be accepted, to see ourselves as accepted. And there might be a future episode of just kind of some of the practical ways of, of developing this sacred romance, but we've got to have that as part of our worldview, that the Lord longs to have an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. A great example of this in scripture is the person of Enoch in Genesis chapter five, because it was often said that Enoch walked intimately with the Lord and he knew the Lord at a very intimate level. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's often called the hall of faith. The author references Enoch as a man who knew God and was pleasing to the Lord. And if you go back to what Jerry Bridges wrote in the terms of walking into godliness and the devotion, a life of devotion to the Lord, it's one that is intimate with the Lord and one that is going to be well-pleasing to the Father and going to bear much fruit. Number two, sovereign lordship is that we have to have this perspective that the God who loves you is king of the universe. This does not mean that you will never suffer. It means he always has a plan rooted in goodness and love towards you. Coming back to that idea once again, that he is in control, that he is sovereign, 
and he's creative um, and he's in control regardless of maybe the chaos or the confusion that might be around and surrounding your life, he will bring peace and comfort and counsel and wisdom in the sense of being loved in the middle of that chaos. In number three, spiritual warfare. He says, there is more at work in this life than God's love and God's sovereignty. We have an enemy who uses the world and our flesh against us. And then he kind of breaks down in a later chapter the uh, external things that come against us in the forms of people and circumstances in the world. So there's an external warfare. And then there's the internal spiritual warfare of the lies and the wounds and the strongholds that get built up within our mind and in our spirit, um, which you can kind of dive a little bit deeper into. But I love what he goes on to share after these three things about a sacred romance, sovereign lordship, and spiritual warfare. As he says, uh, and he quotes Neil Anderson's book, uh, Victory Over the Darkness, he says, people cannot consistently behave in ways that are inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves. These perspectives need to shape the way we think about God if we want to enjoy our walk with him. And there's so many great truths in that a couple sentences alone, but we can't behave in ways that are inconsistent to what we perceive. So the way we see God, the way we interact with him is going to be the conduct that comes from our character. And these perspectives need to shape the way that we think about God. Because for some of us, it might be hard to realize that God's real intention and desire is to walk joyfully with us. You can be glad that he's glad to be with you because he sure is glad when you make time for him and he sees your life of devotion to him and it's grounded in the fear of the Lord, the sovereignty of God, the love of God. You see how these three things kind of go hand in hand in this triangle, the fear of God, the sovereignty of God, the love of God and the sacred romance and then the spiritual warfare aspect of it or the desire to be with God. Because in times of tension and chaos where there is warfare, it is intimacy. It is the desire to get alone, to be alone in a safe, secure place, the strong tower, the psalmist said, knowing that he comes around you and provides a strong tower, a fortress, a safe place for you. And if you build these three things in the kingdom, you're going to have a life of devotion that's full of passion, full of purpose and fulfillment. And you are going to experience life in a way that you never experienced it before. You're going to believe in who you are. You're going to believe in the image God has for you and the influence and the fruit that comes from your life isn't going to come from striving or trying to perform or build something on your own. Now he's going to give you freedom and permission to be who he's called you to be and to not feel inferior to other people, to not compare yourself with other people, but he's going to call your real identity forward. And he's a great God and a good God that's going to allow you to be fully you the way that only you can be you. And I want to close today's episode by just encouraging you with two scriptures 
one from James chapter one, verse 17. I'm to read this from the Amplified Version. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift being from the Father coming down from the Father of the heavens or the Father of lights, that kingdom of light that we've been talking about. The creator and sustainer of of the heavens, in whom there is no variation, no rising or setting or shadow cast by his turning, for he is perfect and never changes. From the beginning of time that he revealed himself in the Garden of Eden with man, he has been the same. And it says, every good gift is from above, a God of light who gives us good things. And the last one I want to encourage you with is Jeremiah verse uh, chapter 32, verse 40. The Lord says to his people, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will do them good and not turn away from them. And I will put in their heart a fear and a reverential awe of me so that they will not turn away from me. That just brings so much peace into my heart that he's entered into an eternal covenant with us if we give our lives and if we enter into a relationship and say yes to his king Jesus and yes to his kingdom, yes of being the beloved child that we could enter into this sacred romance and this intimacy with him because that is his heart. He says, I will do them good and not turn away from them. The father doesn't turn away. It's like him being the son shining on us. And as we turn ourselves to him, he provides light constantly to help us to grow into the fullness of who we are. And he says, I will put in their heart a fear and reverential awe of me so that they will not turn away. His desire is for us to keep focused on him and to not look away just like we talked about in the golden calf in Babel, where their eyes began to turn away and they forgot to look to the one true source. And then notice verse 41. He says, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. That is a promise that you can hold on to today, that he will rejoice over you to do you good. And he says, I will faithfully plant you in the land with all my heart and with all my soul. Thank you, Father, for being an incredibly loving and good God, that all good things are from you. And I pray for every listener, everyone observing today, that you would bless them in the form of your goodness and kindness and gentleness, because I wholeheartedly believe that just like a sunflower, as we turn our eyes and our gaze to you, that we'll receive the goodness, the warmth that provides a source of growth for us because you want us to grow and you're radically committed to us. So these characteristics that we've talked about, God, I pray that you would instill them deep into our heart, that they would form into a devoted life to you that would produce character in the conduct that is produced from our character would be fruitful. So God, give us a healthy fear of the you, a desire for you, 
and the ability to receive all of your love so that we could have a sacred romance, an intimate walk in relationship with you, Lord, and to give us a discerning spirit full of wisdom to discern the warfare that goes on around us, a desire to be with you in the safe and secret place that we won't be overcome by the spiritual warfare that is against us. But I'm just reminded that in 1 John, it says that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The one true king is inside of you today, and he has overcome the world. So take hold of his strength today and let it form a resolve and an endurance in you that would make the enemy fearful, that would make the enemy flee, because you are going to come out well in the end. It may not seem like it right now, but believing and having a confident expectation and hope that the Lord is working and forming something good, something beautiful in you, so that when it emerges, the influence and the fruit is going to be incredible. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. And with that, I say, God bless you today and God's strength and come back on Friday where I'm going to give you four characteristics of the kingdom again. That's going to give a little bit different perspective and light on four of the key core values of the kingdom that we see throughout all of scripture. So I hope to see you Friday. We'll see you next time.